Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 14, and uh, we're going to begin here at uh, verse 16, Genesis 14, 16. First of all, let's look to God now in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would turn our hearts to you, and Lord, that uh, you would uh, open our ears, cancel out all the noise that would distract us. And open our eyes that we might see our precious Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, Genesis fourteen sixteen. if you follow along here, read. I'll read. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedaloemer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me on Ereshkel and Mamre. Let them take their portion. All right, now, in our last study, we have seen in this area how as Abram set out, Abraham set out to do the will of God by rescuing Lot, in the spirit that he had of this wholehearted forgiveness, because he couldn't do it unless he wholly had forgiven Lot, that Abraham found that he could do all things, including conquering Cato's army of, of tens of thousands with just his mere 318 men. But he did that through God who strengthened him. And in verse 16, when Abraham looked back over the success that he had, as it says there, he brought back all, all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and so forth. That Abraham looked at the fact that he had succeeded. He had actually, he didn't know that when he started out, but he had succeeded and brought back Lot. That's quite a statement there in, that, in verse 16, where it says that Abraham brought all back, including Lot. And as the impact of that statement in verse 16 settles in now on Abraham, Abraham is just amazed to see he's done all these things as God strengthened him, as it says in Philippians 4.13. Kedar also, he had a chance to reflect on this as he went running back to his country, Syria, as a defeated foe. And he's seen that Abraham had done these things. He was amazed, didn't know how. His 318 men, Abraham's 318 men, they were amazed as they had looked back and seen that Abraham had done all these things through God who'd strengthened him. And the king of Sodom was also amazed as he saw from verse 16 all that Abraham had done. And he brought back all the persons, all the spoil, everything that he'd lost. He brought it back from Cato Loemir. And he, 
And he didn't care how Abraham did it. That didn't matter to him. The only thing he cared about was that he could get uh, the, the things back. And so Abraham, he's now brought back, brought back everything. And so what happens? So we come now, and what, we, what we're coming now when we come to verse 17 is a new trial for Abraham. It says, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedalormir, and the kings were with him in, in that king's dale. So Abraham returns after weeks of a military camp, a nonstop military campaign, a nonstop adrenaline rush for Abraham. And Abraham is just tired. He's exhausted. And he doesn't know it. But he thinks that his one great battle with Cadel Armour was it. But he's got one more battle to fight. And this arguably could be the harder battle than having to fight Kedolaimer in Syria. Because Abraham now has new fears that he has to face and he has to overcome. This is a new battle for him. When we read these ominous words in verse 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. The king of Sodom did not go out to Abraham to praise Abraham's God. The king of Sodom did not go out and say, Oh, Abraham, you did all these things through God who strengthened you. The king of Sodom is described for us. He's a perfect example of what it says in James 4.4. 4. He is the friend of the world where it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Friend of the world equals enemy of God. And that was addressed to adulterers and adulteresses or those who perpetuated sexual sins. And here was the king of Sodom. He was the, this was the world capital of sexual sins, the world capital of homosexuality. And in the king of Sodom, we have the consummate friend of the world. Therefore, he's the consummate king of sexual sins, and he is the consummate enemy of God. So verse 17 says the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abraham. It's saying that the consummate enemy of God goes out to meet Abraham. And Abraham is returned now, and he's in his weakened state, and he's exhausted, and he comes to this place, which is the king's valley, the king's dale, the king of Sodom's place there. And the Judean desert, right in the Judea desert there, that's the that's where Sodom was. And so Abraham returns in his weakened state to this valley where the king of Sodom lived in the Judean desert. And he returns, he's weak, and he's just like he's going into a spider web, Abraham has. And the king of Sodom, he rouses himself like a spider and he goes out to meet Abraham. And so as we see the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abraham, we see another king of Sodom like the spider, comes out and meets another weakened, tired one thousands of years later in the same place, the same Judean desert, and, and that happened, and turn to that if you would please, in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 3 verse 16. So, this is a replay now, Matthew three sixteen is the replay of what happened with Abraham. Where? Not Abraham, but Jesus. And it says in Matthew 3.16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, 
went up straightway out of the water, and lo, surprise, the heavens were opened unto him. Unto him, it says. And he saw, that's the Lord Jesus, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, surprise, look at this, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Keep going, reading on to chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, he said, he gave, he presented this proposal. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So just like Abraham, this was a time of great exaltation, great happiness, great jubilation. Abraham returned from the conquest and his mission of recovery, and there was a great jubilation. He was really elevated, Abraham was, in the sight of everyone. And it was the same for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was great jubilation, great exaltation, as we read that in verse 16, how at his baptism it starts off with this, low, low, look at this, look at this. This is really something. The, the heavens were open unto him, and then it's and it's, it's all looking at it from the Lord Jesus' point of view. It's unto him, he looks up. He sees the heavens opened up. And just like Abraham was honored as the great conqueror, we see the Lord Jesus was honored as it says that the heavens were opened unto him. And in Matthew 3.16, we are brought to see everything from the eyes of the Lord Jesus. It says he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And it makes us think of what Abraham saw as he returned from the slaughter of the kings. And Abraham saw crowds come out to him and welcome him and cheering him. He rescued, he brought back, he was the great deliverer. And then notice in Matthew 3.17 how the Lord Jesus was further honored with another low surprise. It says, lo, it says there was a voice from heaven. When has that ever happened before? A voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Thunder, voice, great honor for the Lord Jesus to have a voice that by all announcing him, he is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we see in the Lord Jesus' baptism, this is his baptism we're talking about, and he's entering into public service And we see in Abraham his return from the conquest, his rescue mission, great honor, great exaltation, and yet then comes the trial. It reminds me, you know, when when we had to fight in the patent case, we not only had to fight Nichols Diagnostics in the patent courts of the U.S., but also in the patent courts of Japan and Europe. And in Japan, we fought Nichols with our distributor, Sumitomo. And when we won in the courts, that was a great day. And I, you know, I flew over there, and, and we had a big victory dinner. And it was really something. They had a big victory dinner. They served fugu, uh, you know, that blowfish thing. Extremely poisonous liver. If the knife touches it, you die right away. I always wondered why they did it. I told them, let's not have any more victory dinners. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, this is serve this stuff. But at that dinner, they put on me a large replica of a samurai helmet. Big old thing. And then that's when they told me the famous Japanese proverb by the Shogun Shokugawa, where he said, he said, uh, after victory, tighten your helmet straps. And so I took a picture of me tightening it anyway. And so, in other words, after an exaltation, watch out for the counterattack. And that's why we go right from this end of chapter 3 in Matthew into verse-verse, and that wonderful time that happened at the end of chapter 3, and then we, chapter 4 starts with the word, then... 
Then, at that time, Jesus was led up. Then, when, right after the great victory of his baptism, he broke through the darkness on earth. That's what happened. It's put so well a few verses down of what that meant, that baptism in Matthew 4.16, a few verses down where it says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. The gloom was thick when he came. In all the Bible, you don't have a better description of the darkness of fatalism then this one word, sat, in this verse 16 here of Matthew 4. Sat, they sat in darkness. They sat in the region of the shadow of death. Why did they sit? Because they were paralyzed with the gloom of fatalism, the gloom of thinking that everything has been predetermined and they can't do anything to change who or what will inevitably, who will be saved, who will be delivered, what will inevitably happen because they're either predestined or they're not predestined to be delivered. So they sat. And that's right where the devil wanted them to be, in a state of paralyzed fatalism, just sitting in darkness, just sitting in the region in the shadow of death. It's amazing, as I mentioned to you before, we've seen when they come out of that Islamic fatalism and they're saved, All of a sudden, they stop sitting and waiting for the rain to come, and then they start digging wells. They're not stupid. They're just paralyzed with fatalism. Now, it was a wonderful thing because there was this victory that happened when light broke through this fatalistic darkness through the shadow of death. And like Abraham, the Lord Jesus was greatly honored at this time. The heavens were open, the Spirit of God descending on him. Here's the voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then comes the counterattack. And it was a counterattack that God had wanted because it says in Matthew 4.1 that the Lord Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And you might ask, of all the people to be tempted, why would the Spirit of God lead the Lord Jesus to be tempted of the devil? Why? And the answer is because of what it says about him. And please turn to that in, in uh, Hebrews 4.15. This very special quality of him is described to us in Hebrews 4.15, which gets at the root of why he was led up of the spirit to be tempted of the devil. In Hebrews 4.15, we read this. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, led up of the Spirit of God, led up of God into the wilderness to be tempted, so that he could have this special quality of our high priest, a special quality of a high priest for us. That special high priest means that he's not just an ordinary priest, an ordinary priest. He's very, very special. He's not an ordinary priest that lives isolated in some secluded monastery on a hill. He's not an ordinary high priest who can just throw over his head the hood of separation from the real world and then retreat into a life of being separated from what real people go through. He's not an ordinary priest of privilege where, with servants waiting on him where all his needs are just provided for him Those ordinary priests cannot be touched 
with what we as what, what real people go through. Ordinary priests are high and separated and isolated from the mundane troubles of life. They never hit their thumbs with the hammer. See? <laughs> they never use a hammer. Others use the hammers. Anyway. But we don't have an ordinary high priest who's separated from what we go through and separated from what we feel. We have a very special high priest which not only can but was touched with the feeling, that word, of our infirmities, that word, and was at all points tempted, that word, as we are yet without sin. See, the Greek word for feeling in that verse is where we get the word sympathy. Sympathy, which means to feel with. He feels with us because he felt like us. The Greek word, therefore, infirmities is where it means if frailties or weaknesses. He was subject to the same frailties and weaknesses. The word, Greek word for tempted means enticed or lured or tried. So what Hebrews 4.15 is telling us is that we have a very, very unusual priest because, number one, he is a special high priest to us because he had the same frailties and weaknesses that you and I have. Number two, he's a special high priest for us because in his weakness he felt the same lure of temptation as a man would see the finger of the adulteress motioning him to come, to come. And he feels the pull of the enticer offering him to indulge in sexual sins. But, and he felt that too. But he stood his ground and said no. And after 40 years of being in this weakened condition of starving, he felt that inward lure to do anything even disobey God to get loaves of bread. But in his weakened state, he stood his ground and he said no. And that's what made him so special. Because he was in every area, in every point, like as we are, from the same positions of weakness and frailty that we have. But every time he stood his ground and he said no, that makes him very special. Very special to us, because he not only knows what he goes through, he has gone what, through what we go through. So our great high priest says, I know what you are going through. I remember when I went through the same thing that you're suffering under now. So that means that we have a new dimension to our prayers when we pray to him, because that kind of special high priest is the one that we can say two words to as we pray. And those two words are, you know. You know. Lord Jesus, you know what I am going through right now because you were tempted in the same way, in the same area also. Lord Jesus, you know how I need your help because, because you needed help in exactly the same area also. And that energizes us to pray in a special way, as it says in the next verse in Hebrews 4.16. It says, therefore, it has the word therefore, it's tying it in. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Being able to say those two words in prayer, you know, because he experienced all the temptations that we did, 
gives a new characteristic to our prayers, and that characteristic is coming boldly. Coming boldly. That special boldness is based on the fact that he knows personally that what we have gone through, and it makes us have a certain confidence that we can obtain what we need, that we can obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of our need. But going back to Matthew here, we are in Matthew in verse 2 and 3, those are very important words when it says, he was afterward a hunger, the tempter came to him. So the sequence went like this. He was exalted after his baptism, number one. Number two, he, he was starved after 40 days of no food. Number three, in his weakened state, the devil came to him with a devilish proposal. Now, the sequence for Abraham was, number one, he was exalted after his success of his conquest and his, his mission to rescue. Number two, he was exhausted after weeks of running back to Syria, running up to Syria and back. And number three, in his weakened state, the king of Sodom came to him with a devilish proposal. Just like the Lord Jesus, the tempter, tempter came to us, that if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And that shows us the importance, I'll turn back now to Genesis. In Genesis 14, 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. Before the king of Sodom speaks, and so that's what happens in verse 17. Now we come to verse 18. Before the king of Sodom speaks, we have another person who comes out also to meet Abraham in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem. See the contrast? And the king of Sodom. Now, the king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. So now, God is looking at his servant Abraham. And he sees that Abraham has arrived in the valley of the king of Sodom, right into the spider's web, and the spider... The king of Sodom now is going out for the kill. And God sees all this, and he says, Quick, send another king to Abraham, and strength to strengthen Abraham. And so he doesn't fall by accepting this devilish proposal from the king. So all of a sudden, we have before us now, the, the, before us, this king of Salem, because of the king of Salem, and he comes in, verse 17, before the king of Sodom even speaks, he comes in. And our first question is, and I, everybody asks this question, who is this Melchizedek king of Salem? Uh, he, just, he just appears out of nowhere. And the book of Hebrews makes a big deal of how mysterious his entrance is. It says in Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, that he, Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a part, and so forth. And then it says, he is without father, he is without mother, he is without descent, neither having beginning of days nor end of days, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the king priest forever. So the pattern we are used to, as we've been studying in the book of Genesis, has been to introduce a person by telling us who his father was, and sometimes who his mother was, and so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, and his mother was so-and-so, and he lived so many years, and maybe he was born when his father was so-and-so years old, etc. But now, not Melchizedek, now, Melchizedek, all of a sudden, in verse 18, Melchizedek just appears on the pages of Genesis, and we don't know who his father is, and we don't know who his mother is, or was, 
And we don't know when he was born, and we don't know when he died. He just appears, and there's a lot of questions, and there's a lot of speculation as to who Melchizedek is. Some say he's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And you may not be sure this morning and wondering, who is he? So I'll tell you who he is. I don't know. (laughs) But for the purposes that we're going to see him in this morning, it doesn't matter all those things to his mother's father. Because we're looking at Melchizedek for what it says about him in Genesis, where we are. Not for what it does not say about him. We have enough trouble reading the lines of the Bible, which are clearly there, without trying to read between the lines of the Bible. There's enough for us trying to just to read the lines without trying to read between the lines. So the first thing we see is that right after this verse 17, where the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abraham... And before the king of Sodom speaks to Abraham, Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham. That's precious because it shows that God is monitoring very closely. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 247-3051, 800-247-3051. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.